Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 114. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. I'm bringing to you a show about wills, trusts, guardianship, Things that we don't talk about often but are super important, and it's been near and dear to my heart to bring this to you. I've been thinking about it for a long time and just wanting to get behind how important it is to support you in getting wills for your family, getting updated in your legal documents, making sure that things transfer the way you want them to transfer. I know you're going to enjoy this and learn a lot. Here he is. I'm excited to have on the show today Jules Haas. Jules is an attorney with over 30 years of experience joining us from New York City today. How are you doing, Jules? Very good, Linda. How are you? Thank you very much for inviting me on your show today. Well, you're uh, very welcome. I'm excited to have you. This is something I've wanted to talk about for quite some time. I think that it's important for people to understand some of the things we're going to chat about. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience, what you do in the world of legal work. Sure. Thank you. I'm an attorney. Uh, my office is uh, located in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, my address is 845 Third Avenue, uh, New York, New York, which is Third Avenue and 51st Street in Midtown. I practice throughout the um, New York metropolitan area, which would encompass all of New York City and the outer boroughs of counties, Nassau County, Westchester County, Suffolk County. My area, the areas in which I uh, deal primarily uh, are the areas of trust and estates, uh, which really encompasses a lot of things, uh, state planning, uh, probate, surrogates court matters, litigation, will contests. Um, I handle guardianship matters, dealing with folks that are uh, dealing with incapacity. I handle a fair amount of real estate. Uh, but I know that the topic that we're going to be discussing today um, really deals with wills and uh, the planning aspect of, of my practice. And Well, Jules, let's talk about why someone would need a will. There's a lot of younger people, millennials, who listen to the show, as well as uh, more seasoned veterans, I'll say. But uh, I often find that it doesn't matter what age someone is, there is unfortunately a statistic that most people, I think it's most people, die intestate. Is that a correct statement? Well, um, I'd say that uh, generally speaking, uh, that's probably true, although I don't, uh, I, uh, I don't know the exact statistic, but I will say that uh, it, is a, uh, it is a problem. And just to answer your question uh, more specifically, it's important to understand uh, what a will does. Um, and uh, you know, a will is going to control the disposition of assets that you own in your name alone. And unfortunately, many folks have all sorts of assets that they have in their name, 
whether it's a bank account or a house or, uh, you know, a stock portfolio or whatever. And if you do not have a will which specifies the disposition of your estate, you basically leave the disposition of your estate up to the laws that control your estate, which in my case, because I'm a New York attorney, uh, is controlled by the laws in New York State. And the statutes in New York State, as you mentioned, in a state without a will is, in, is an intestate estate, and the intestacy statutes here in New York basically provide a, uh, a list a priority of who takes your estate and in what uh, portions. And basically the list goes down in, a, in an order that most people would uh, obviously uh, find to be, you know, reasonable. Uh, first you have a spouse, um, and then if you have children, the spouse and children would share, and the spouse would get essentially uh, half of the estate plus $50,000. But after you get past that, and this is really where uh, the problems uh, tend to arise is that a lot of folks uh, are not married. Uh, they may not have children. Um, and then the statute goes into parents. And because parents are an older generation, parents may not be alive as well. Um, or uh, parents may be in a situation where you do not want the parent to uh, have uh, a beneficial interest in an estate because of the parent's situation. Either the parent is elderly, they might be on uh, government assistance, um, or having additional assets might uh, not benefit their estate. But after you get past parents, you then go down to siblings, uh, brothers and sisters, if they're not alive, nieces and nephews, and then after that, you're going down to further uh, distant relatives, uh, cousins, and first cousins, and, and thereabouts. And because of uh, the fact that you're not controlling where the, uh, your assets are going, your estate may end up going to folks that you do not want it to go to because you may not necessarily like all of your brothers and sisters or your nieces and nephews or whoever the law would demand that it go to. Um, secondarily, uh, the bigger problem is that when you don't write a will and you leave it up to the state to determine where your assets are going, when you get down further on the chart to figure out who your relatives are, your next of kin, in New York it's known, the, the term is distributees. That's the uh, uh, legal term of your next of kin, the people who would inherit. When you get further down in the chart, to cousins and, and, and further relatives, it may be extremely difficult to figure out who these folks are. And you may end up having to, if you're one of these relatives that want to benefit from the estate, you may end up having to go through a very long and arduous kinship hearing and kinship process through the surrogate's court, which would involve the public administrator, which is a local official who deals with these kinds of estates, um, and having to prove all of your relatives dating back, you know, which might be over decades and decades, spread out over the world. So the basic uh, premise of having a will is to, to determine who you're going to benefit and in what manner, and also making sure that there's a roadmap there for uh, you know, your intentions 
to be followed. Wow. Well, you. <laughs> I know it's a. I know it's a lot, and I and I only stopped because I don't know if you want to me elab- if you want me to elaborate on it, but there's a lot more I can uh, talk about in that, just in that little aspect. And and one other thing which I will say is that when you write a will, aside from being able to express your intentions as to who you want your estate to go to, you can also make provisions for dealing with specific situations. So, for instance, if you have a child that, uh, for whatever reason, has some sort of a disability, you can create a trust in that will, which is what we call a special needs trust, to deal with uh, that child's issues and which would not affect that child's government benefits if they're receiving that. Even if you have a simple type of state, husband or wife, and you have young children, in the will you can put in a trust that would benefit the children if you and your spouse are not alive, so your estate would be able to be paid out to the children, let's say, over a period of time, let's say through their 20s, um, rather than have all of the money end up going to them uh, you know, at one time. There are also a lot of other issues with you know, being able to put money into a trust as opposed to having uh, a court-mandated guardianship if, there are no, uh, if there's no trust or no will. So there's a, there, there are innumerable aspects of, of considerations uh, when you're sitting down thinking about a will. So in most cases, people say, oh, I'm doing a will. It's very simple, whatever. But when you sit down and sort of think about this um, you know, in your particular situation, there are many good reasons to take the initiative and try to decide what you actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always told people that it's super important if you have children, especially to have a will to determine who's going to be the guardian of the children in case something happens to you so that you get to choose who that is and have that taken care of for the kids. But you make a great point about people who are single, and I'm actually widowed, so I've been through the whole will, probate, whole that whole uh, other end of the situation, And but now as a single person, you know, I have my will done and everything's great, but, you know, you do bring up some good points because my mother just passed away, my sister's older, I'm the baby of the family, and maybe I need to go, you know, even deeper into some of the generational things that, um, you know, that I have. Maybe even instead of just one generation below me, maybe even two generations below me. My mother lived to be 96, mm-hmm. so uh, I could live a long time, too. Absolutely. Linda, what you say is a very good point, and uh, when you're doing your will, it's important, and by doing a will, you, you have the ability to do this. And you can think not only in percentages and, and different dispositions for a number of different people, but you can also think in, in generational or dis, dispositive levels. So when you write your will in the typical type of will, you're going to say, I give my estate, I give the residue of my estate or whatever to, you know, my brother, you know, John Doe. But if he's not alive, then I want it to go to so-and-so. If you're not writing a will, you can't make those decisions. So you can go down one or two 
or as many levels as you feel necessary uh, to account for those situations. And one other aspect that uh, you mentioned, because your mom, uh, you know, good for her, she lived to 96, but, you know, you may not want your estate, as I mentioned earlier, to go to a parent, particularly a parent that's older and particularly a parent that may, let's say, be getting government benefits. And I'm going to just give you a, a typical example, uh, which is always a good way to, uh, you know, see the impact of what happens when you don't do things properly. Um, I had an estate years ago where a woman passed away. Uh, you know, she was in her 50s, and unfortunately she, she just passed on. And her closest living relative um, when she died was her mom. And aside from the difficulty of having to prove kinship because, uh, you know, we didn't have good records, so basically in order to show the, the, that the mom was the last living relative, essentially we had to go and get her, uh, get records of when they came over from uh, another country and show the ship log and all of that. But more importantly, because the estate went to the mom, the mom happened to be in a nursing home. And... Uh, she was receiving in New York and most states Medicaid. So basically all of her care was being paid for by uh, the state. And when a person who's on Medicaid or receiving government benefits gets money from an estate, that money goes back to the state. All right? And essentially Medicaid has a lien. And so her estate is, is essentially going, you know, her estate essentially was going to be paid back to the state to pay them back for the care of the mom. Whereas if she wrote a will, she would have had the ability to say, well, I'm not going to leave anything to my mom. I'm going to leave it to my, you know, whoever it was. You know, you could even leave it to a charity, but some other place where your disposition would have uh, more of an effect. Not that it's bad to pay back the, the government for monies that they spent. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong, but if you're sitting down and doing a plan, you're basically more than more likely than not you're going to try to avoid that that result because it's really not That's right. what you would want. Can That's I'm right. And what I tell people is whether you have a will or not, you have a plan. You just don't realize you have a plan because it's the government's plan for you. Exactly. So don't have a will that doesn't stop you know, stop things from happening because as you've said, there's automatic laws that if there are laws that automatically take effect and cause your money to go in certain places. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of a charity. I've been on this board for eight years. And certainly if I were that young woman and, you know, would have known that there was a choice of either having it go to her mother or maybe having it, you know, go somewhere else like a charity that means a lot to her, I'm sure she would have made a different decision. Exactly. Exactly. But, if you consider what you're doing, at least you have the opportunity to think about your choices. And that's really the most important thing. You know, you can basically say, you know, you want your estate to go anywhere you want. But by taking the initiative and thinking about what you want to do, you have the ability to make those decisions rather than just leave it up to, you know, up to fate, so to speak, or the state and um, not have any ultimate say after you're not around anymore to say, no, 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 this is not what I want. This is not what I would have want, wanted to happen. And, you know, on the other side of this is 
that, you know, things can end up going to places you don't want them to go. And, you know, I've had many cases where, you know, folks pass away and their next of kin are, let's say, cousins or, you know, uh, uh, distant relatives that ultimately inherit the estate. And I'm not going to say that the decedent may not have wanted the money to go there, but ultimately, you know, the cousins or whoever may not have had much contact, if any, with the decedent. So it may not express their intent. And one other aspect, since, you know, just uh, following up on another uh, item that you mentioned, um, a single person. You know, many times, uh, obviously nowadays, uh you know, fortunately, the law recognizes marriages between uh, same-sex couples, and, and, and that hurdle is, is no longer there. But in many situations, um, folks may not get married um, and give themselves the legal rights to, others, to another's estate for various reasons. If they're older, they may feel that, you know, marriage is not the right thing, or they still may feel uncomfortable about it. Who knows? But if you don't put that person into your will, then that person will have no legal right because they're not a spouse to share in your estate. So you really have That's to right. think about what's going That's on. That's right. I'm so glad you brought that up because I live near Palm Springs, and mm -hmm. so we have a, a large gay population here. And, you know, it, it goes beyond that, too, into the rights to even visit them in the hospital and make decisions, medical decisions for them, and they need the proper, you know, forms and documentation for all of that as well. So that's Absolutely. Are you talking with people, and I imagine you're doing those kinds of things while you're doing the will, too? Absolutely. You know, typically um, we would do a will. We would do what we call here in New York a health care proxy. Um, a health care proxy is a, a form that's provided for by statute. Um, in New York, and basically it's like a power of attorney for health care decisions. So if a person becomes uh, unable to make those decisions for themselves, uh, then they name in their document who it is that they uh, want to make those decisions. And again, if you're talking about a non-relative, um, that non-relative would not not have any legal rights to do that. And, you know, I can't tell you over the years, uh, you know, all of the you know, usually you see this because before a person passes away many times, you have guardianship proceedings. Guardianship proceedings here in New York uh, deal with people that are incapacitated. In other words, they don't have the ability to make property management and healthcare decisions for themselves. And so usually before you have the, the will contest fight or the probate fight about a person's estate, you have guardianship fights about, you know, who can make decisions and who has power of attorney and all of that. And so you see this all the time. So typically, you know, folks come in, they'll do a health care proxy, they'll do a power of attorney, and, you know, they'll do the various things that, you know, can try to put into place. These, these are what we call advanced directives. Um, so they're expressions of intent as to who they want and what they want can be expressed. Of course, life is, is, is imperfect and um, everyone's situation is different, um, but... If you don't try, at least you can't get to uh, where you want to be. And uh, just, again, you know, I don't know if uh, you or your audience has been reading recently, there's this big fight um, 
with regard to uh, Summer Redstone, uh, who's the head of Viacom. And yes. Carol, over the last number of years, he's sort of fall. You know, even though you know the fellow is obviously immensely wealthy and has you know as many great attorneys as she could possibly afford, uh, there's this big dispute about who has the right to make decisions for him. And one of his, uh, I guess, um, friends uh, that, have, that has been helping him over the years, this woman uh, has been in court fighting against the the board of directors as to, you know, who can make decisions for him and determine his health care and all of that. So, and you read about it all the time, you know, Robin Williams, uh, you know, and on and on. There are always disputes. So no matter who it is, no matter how much money you have, um, there are always these problems that, that present themselves later on. And all you can do is try to simplify it and uh, make it as specific as possible because, all you end up with is your intentions aren't carried out and the family or friends that you leave end up with a lot of grief afterwards in trying to figure it all out. That's right. So everybody needs a defense directive to, mm-hmm. uh, to give power to people to make decisions for them when they're incapacitated in the hospital, for example. But it's especially important if you're either in a same-sex relationship or maybe you cohabitate with someone you're not married, you have no legal rights if there's no legal marriage there. So that's important for couples who are living together as well to provide those rights for each other to make decisions. Correct. And uh, the variation on the theme is, uh, you know, just just goes on and on. You know, you can think of a hundred different, you know, issues and problems that can be presented and, you know, again, by sitting down and and doing this, um, it's very important. And one thing, you know, I want to say, and this is not to disparage, you know, uh, any of the online services where you can do your own will or whatever, um, you know, they they all have, uh, you know, uh, a place in today's society. But when you're doing this, you know, in my view, if you're taking the time and effort to do it, uh, you should take the time and effort and, you know, next step to try to at least discuss it with a professional so the things that you put into place um, are as valid and not subject to attack as, you know, you, as you can possibly have them. So, you know, I understand the need for uh, these services, and, you know, certainly they benefit a lot of folks who ordinarily wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, think about these things. But it's also a good idea to, you know, have someone who knows about this, um, you know, look at it or at least talk to you about it or give you some direction as to the way to, uh, go about it. And and the reason I say that is that, you know, will executions, uh, and when I say execution, I don't mean killing your will, I mean having it signed and done properly with witnesses, um, is a very uh, specific uh, rules and statutes, certainly here in New York and certainly uh, throughout the country. And so if you sit down and you write your will and you sign it and say, oh, this is good, I just did my will, and it's not properly witnessed, and it's not in a proper form, 
there's a good possibility if the assets that you have are significant enough uh, that folks are going to go out there and, you know, contest the will because, you know, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. That's right. You give them a loophole and they'll take it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I yeah. know that that there are some other topics uh, that you had mentioned to me um, which I can uh, sort of speak about uh, as well. In fact, before I do that, I just want to mention one other thing about uh, a will. And, you know, uh, obviously uh, married couples, they can provide for trust for their kids, as I had mentioned. But, you know, you can also do uh, what we call estate planning, uh, which really deals with the estate tax. And even though uh, many people say, well, my estate is not subject to estate tax, why do I have to worry about this? Well, for federal estate tax purposes now, um, if your estate is does not exceed uh, $5,450,000, you don't have to worry about a federal estate tax. Um, but Sometimes when you sit down and think about what your assets are when you throw in a house and you throw in a retirement fund and, you know, some other things, you know, uh, you'd be surprised at, at, the, at the value of things that, that you may have. Um, so if you reach those levels and you're thinking about doing some planning, it, obviously you need to sit down and, and do that. Here in New York State, uh, we have an estate tax as well. Uh, which now is uh, a bit over $4 million. Um, everything between spouses are tax-free, but you have to think about, well, fine, once that's over and there's no, the second spouse dies, you know, are my kids going to be subject to uh, any type of estate tax? Do I have to think about this? So, you know, that consideration may not be uh, for everyone, and a lot of people dismiss doing an estate plan or their will because they say, oh, $5 million, I don't have to worry about it. But what they don't realize are all the other problems that we talked about earlier that really affect everyone's estate and not just the fact that, you know, estate planning is for a rich person. Well, that's just not so. That's right. And, and as you mentioned, the state levels vary, and it can be quite a bit lower for the state. And Correct. So- people need to really look into because they can be subject to a pretty hefty tax at the state level. That's correct. The states vary. Some have no estate tax. Some have, uh, you know, like you said, uh, lower um, thresholds for the incurring of estate tax. And um, one of the other areas that I know you had uh, asked me to talk about, and I think this is uh, a really very important area for folks to understand, Um what is the uh, uh, significance of having a will and owning joint assets? Um, and, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, a will is going to control assets that are in your name alone. So if you own assets that are held jointly, let's say you have a bank account and you have your bank account jointly with you know, another person, uh, assuming that other person is alive when you die, uh, at least here in New York, and I guess in most jurisdictions, that bank account will automatically go, what we call by operation of law, to the surviving person. And that same concept is going to attach to assets that you own where there are designated beneficiaries. So if you have a life insurance policy, a retirement fund, a 401k, an IRA, where you have designated beneficiaries, 
and those people survive you. When you die, the asset is going to go automatically to that person. The will, your will, will not control the disposition in most cases of those assets. And the problem that I see all the time is that people do not realize or appreciate uh, the way property is disposed of and the rules regarding the disposition of property. So someone may write a will and they say, I leave all of my estate to my, you know, brother John. But what ended up happening is that during their life, because brother John lives, in, let's say, in California, and the person, you know, whose estate it is lives in New York, and brother John's not around to help that person all the time as they get older, all right, the person living in New York ends up saying, okay, you know what, my uh, friend who lives next door can help me with my banking. So you know what, I'm going to put their name on my bank account, all right, because they can go to the bank for me, they can help me out or whatever. But I don't have to worry because my will is going to leave everything to my brother. Well, that's not the case, and they don't realize that by creating a joint account, with this other person, they may very well have left their entire estate to this other person. Now, there's a lot of fighting that goes on, whether the account is what we call a matter of convenience or whatever, but the situation I just described with a neighbor as opposed to a brother really ends up with family members. So you end up with one child living close to the parent, the other child living on the other side of the country. And the parent, because they're older and they don't understand and they don't appreciate this, ends up putting the one child on all of their stuff, thinking that, well, this is okay, and of course I trust my child. But <laughs> when the parent's not around anymore, particularly where the siblings did not get along to begin with, all right, that one sibling is going to say, well, this is all my money, you know, I took care of mom and dad, you know, you didn't have to, you were over in California, so everything was fine for you, so I'm keeping the house, I'm keeping the bank account, I'm keeping all this stuff. And that's where, you know, someone like me comes in and they come to my office and say, listen, you know, I'm sure my parent didn't want to disinherit me, you know, because they wrote the will, but look at all the way the bank accounts were. And so there we are, you know having a fight in court as to what this person really intended, and they're not, they're not around anymore to, to really say. And do you have success with that? Because it is legally set up a certain way, so do you have well, success? Well, you know, here you go, because I guess the question is, can you be successful? And the answer is, yes, you can depending on the circumstances and what is going on. So, for instance, you can, you know, you can say, well, these, these things were done as a matter of convenience. Or you can say that, well, let me take a look at these bank accounts in the house. None of that was transferred until, let's say, six months before, you know, mom died. And at that time, uh, she was in a nursing home, you know, suffering from dementia. So she uh -huh. didn't have the capacity to do it, or she was unduly influenced in uh -huh. transferring these assets. And so, of course, you know, you're dealing, you know, none of these things are clear-cut. They're not, you know, easy to deal with, and you've got to go and prove that, okay, mom didn't really intend this. You know, she, was, she didn't have the capacity 
these these types of transfers should be voided, um, or the sib or the or the other child made the transfers using a power of attorney to benefit themselves. Uh, you know, all all this stuff goes on. I mean, this is this is the crux of you know where you have these major fights in court mm-hmm. about who's getting what. Aside from the will contest and whether the will was executed, and she understood what she was doing, and you know, it just it, it, it's just um, you know it, it, it's just on and on about you know people fighting. You'd be amazed. Well, you wouldn't be amazed, but. You know, if you went into the surrogate's court on any particular day, you know, you'd see all of this happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, I have a friend who, um, it was exactly what you described. One lived near the parents. There was one parent alive. One lived across the country from the other one. Mm-hmm. The one that lived near the parent, their name was on the bank account with the parent. And when they died, the, you know, the, the kids thought that, that was going to be evenly distributed between the, the children. But right. legally, exactly. mm-hmm. only one child's name was on the account as a joint account with the parents. So legally, it's left to that one person. And, and just as you said, that one person said, well, I was dealing with the parents. I had to take care of them, so I'm keeping it. Exactly. And they had the big battle, and now the, the siblings don't speak to each other. And I've heard this one over and over and over again where – that one that's close by the parent has has the joint account, and it causes problems later for the entire estate and for, you know, it's not what what the parent wanted. What the parent wanted was actually even distri- distribution to the kids. Mm-hmm. But legally, they have it set up in a way that it doesn't happen. Exactly. So I'm glad you brought that up because that is so common and mm-hmm. it has caused a lot of lawsuits, problems, and and lost relationships with families after after parents die. It's really sad. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's just terrible. You know, it, it really is. It, it's uh, it's sad, um, and there's just no way to undo it once it's done. And then, you know, you just have this total disharmony that that occurs uh, when the the surviving children or whoever it might be end up having to have these bitter fights in court about who's going to get what. I had a case uh, a number of years back. Well, I've had these kinds of cases, you know, uh, many times over the years, but I had a case uh, a number of years back where the uh, there were three children, and there are provisions in the the law where uh, when a person goes on Medicaid, um, they can basically uh, protect assets and 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 do that um, by transferring, let's say, a house into one child's name, right? But that child is basically what they call a caregiver, and so the child lives in the house and takes care of of the parent. And so, you know, there's a, a certain aspect of Medicaid planning uh, that uh, can be done uh, in that manner. So in this case, uh, the, there were two sisters and one brother, and they all agreed that the house could be transferred into the name of the brother as the caregiver, um, and he would continue to be there, take care of the mom. But the understanding was that when the mom died, 
you know, the house would be sold and they all get their shares. Of course, you know, uh, I don't have to tell you what ended up happening. You know, the mom died, and the brother said, oh, this is my <laughs> this is my house. You don't uh-huh. get anything. And, of course, you know, I, I represented the sisters, and we had to, you know, sue the brother, and ultimately, uh, you know, we prevailed, and, and we got our, you know, they got their shares. But, you know, you know, I can't explain the amount of, you know, aggravation, sleepless nights that the clients have to go through when when they're dealing with these problems. That's right. Yeah. And so, earlier you brought up another good point, which is that we need to update our beneficiaries. And this is something that, you know, whether people work with an advisor or not, uh, the advisor often doesn't update the beneficiary for the client or doesn't check and make sure the beneficiary is still current. And so... I've heard lots of instances of ex-spouses being the beneficiary on the insurance policy, on the retirement plan, all kinds of things that you definitely didn't want your ex-spouse to get, and they, but because they are legally the beneficiary, they get it. So yeah, I encourage everyone to review those too. Yes, absolutely. It's, it, is a, it is a problem, and in those kinds of cases, things do get um, very complicated. There are statutes in New York that basically um, eliminate uh, a, an ex-spouse's right, a divorced spouse's right um, in certain instances. Um, but, you know, you're also looking at dates of when things were put into effect. Um, you know, you're also looking at various agreements because the spouses may have waived rights uh, in either prenuptial agreements, they may have uh, specifically waived rights in uh, the divorce papers. And, you know, like I said, there are provisions in the statute that, that try to deal with this situation. But, yes, it is a problem. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, whenever you're entering into those situations, whether it's a divorce or some other change in the family or, or in your life, uh, you know, you need to go back and update uh, all of these papers and documents to see what's going on. And people really don't do it, you know. Um, and, and you know, we're all, I, I sort of have to say, guilty of this because, you know, nowadays, you know, with emails and all the stuff going on, you know, you're dealing with so many things in split seconds that you barely have time to think, you know, let alone say, okay, I'm going to sit back and go worry about my will when, you know, you've got 400 things in front of you before you can even get to that. Um, but it's really important. And, you know, so many times I'll sit with a client, I'll say, okay, you know, and I'll explain the difference between a will and the joint property and designated beneficiaries like we just spoke about. And I'll say, okay, well, who's the beneficiary on your retirement fund? And they'll say, oh, <laughs> I don't really know. I don't remember. I don't even know if I did that. Or they'll say, oh, you know, I put down my uh, – you know, my mom, you know, who may have passed away 15 years ago. And a lot of times when I'm administering estates, um, you know, uh, we'll have uh, one of these types of situations where there's a retirement plan or something, and we go look for who's the beneficiary. Well, the beneficiary is, um, you know, some person who died 20 years ago. Well, they won't, you know, the IRA, the brokerage firm or the bank won't release those funds to the estate until we prove that that person's dead. So it may be easy sometimes because you've got their death certificate. 
But sometimes, you know, it may be okay the person put down a beneficiary who is, uh, uh, you know, a, a long-deceased uh, ex-husband or wife or ex-boyfriend or friend, and then you got to go find that person's death certificate to eliminate them because the bank or the the uh, brokerage firm or whoever is holding uh, that account won't release it until you provide them with the certified proof that that person who's the named beneficiary is deceased. So there are, you know, all of these problems. I mean, that's part of what I do all day long in administering an estate. You know, you've got so many issues that, uh, you know, I, I just, it, it's hard to uh, enumerate them. But it's also very interesting because you deal with so many aspects of the law when you're handling an estate. Cause you deal with business, you deal with real estate, you deal with personal uh, you know, relationships. So it's really um, you know, a very all-encompassing uh, type, of, uh, you know, type of area. Well, Jules, you have been so helpful. I want to let people know how they can reach you. And also, I'm sure people are wondering if you work with people outside of New York State. Well, I, uh, I don't. All right. I mean, I can't represent someone who needs to do a, a will uh, if they're a New Jersey person or a California person. I have many, many clients that are outside of New York State, but it all relates to a New York issue. So, for instance, somebody would, would pass away in New York, but their relatives are in California or overseas or whatever. You know, as long as the, the matter the case relates to New York, I can handle it regardless of where the client is. And people are under misconception that, you know, if they're, if they live in California, they can't be an executor of a will in New York. That's not true. You know, you can be a fiduciary, which is an executor or a trustee or administrator in New York. As long as you're a resident, you know, of the United States or, you know, a U.S. citizen, uh, it doesn't matter. So I've had clients that are overseas. As long as they're U.S. citizens, they can be the executor. Um, so anything that relates to New York in any part of New York State, I can uh, try to help somebody with. And as far as uh, getting in touch with me, again, um, you know, you can always just Google my name, Jules Haas, and you'll come up and you'll hit my website, and it's JulesHaasAttorney.com. I have my blog, which is New York Probate Lawyer Blog. And my phone number is 212-355-2575. And my email is on my website. And, you know, you can always, you know, we give free consultations. So, you know, I, people call me up all the time and ask me a question. If I can help them out, I will. And, you know, many times folks just ask me questions. They don't really have um, an issue that I can help them with. But, you know, if I can give them a little information, it sort of alleviates their concern and then, uh, you know, they can sort of move on to the next next stage of what, what they need to do. And for the folks uh, uh, to have information about, I have a, a, a very good website. Uh, if you just punch my name into Google, you'll get to it. It's got hundreds of pages of information as well as my blog, which I publish every week, New York Probate Lawyer Blog. And, again, all of this is informative. It talks about, you know, current cases and, uh, it's a good way to sort of follow up on what we discussed today. Excellent. That's all right. Just to clarify, Jules is spelled J-U-L-E-S, and Haas is spelled H-A-A-S. Yes. And we have great videos online on YouTube for people to 
uh, go to and listen more and learn about what you can do and, and more matters like what we've been talking about on this call. You've been so helpful. No problem. You're very informative. welcome. I love the stories that you shared, and I hope that we can get people motivated to make a decision to create a will or update a will and take care of these important matters so that it can save families from having trouble, fights, loss of relationship, loss of money, and all kinds of important problems that you help solve. So thank you so much for being on the show today. You're very welcome, Linda. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.